Welcome to the Moon in Carolina podcast, where we candidly talk business and personal growth through the lens of spirituality, astrology, practicality, and consciousness. I'm your host, Shelby Bundy, and I look forward to diving into the everyday magic of creating the life and business that you were born to lead. Hello and welcome to the Moon in Carolina podcast. Since we are currently in the dark months here in the Northern Hemisphere, I wanted to spend some time talking about the mythology of winter and the personification of this season. It is in these months that we're most pulled to lean into our inner landscape and to embrace the hermit energy. In a culture, though, that encourages us to be on at all times, I think it's important that we find a way to be intentional about slowing down and honoring our innate need to rest. All of nature goes dormant in one way or another this time of year. The bears hibernate, the plants sleep, and the trees grow quiet. We are just as much a part of nature as the living world around us, yet for some reason we tend to ignore this call to retreat. So let's take a look at how different cultures have personified this season throughout history and see if we can glean any insight from their stories. I want to begin with one of the more well-known myths, as it's one of my favorite, um, the myth of Persephone and her place in the underworlds. Known by Persephone in Greek mythology, the Romans called her Persephone. Persephone was the daughter of Demeter and Zeus, as they are known in Greek, or Ceres and Jupiter in Rome. She was a beautiful young girl who had caught the attention of Hades, who was Zeus's brother and the god of the underworld. Hades is also known as Pluto. Hades had asked Demeter for her daughter's hand in marriage, to which she had adamantly refused. Her daughter was much too beautiful to reside with the king of the dead. But Hades, being the dark god that he is, did not take no for an answer. So one day, Persephone was collecting flowers in a meadow when the earth opened up where she was standing, and out came Hades on a chariot of black horses. Before she could scream for help, Hades grabbed the beautiful maiden and he stole her away to the underworld. This whole incident was witnessed by Zeus, her father, who chose to stay silent and not cause a disagreement with his brother. Helios, the god of the sun, also saw the abduction take place, but thought it was best to mind his own business. When Demeter, Persephone's mother, realized that she was missing, she was devastated. Demeter was the goddess of agriculture and of the harvest, and basically she just quit her job to search for her daughter. Demeter's retreat from her role of making the earth fertile caused the crops to wither and the earth to become barren. In her deep grief, Demeter created winter. Demeter roamed the earth, calling out for her lost daughter and looking endlessly for her. She was hopeless until her friend Hecate finally intervened. Hecate is the goddess of magic, childbirth, and the wilderness, and she felt sorry for her friend. She told her that Helios had information about Persephone's disappearance and that she should seek him out for answers. Demeter did so, and she pleaded with Helios, and he eventually gave in, telling her of how her daughter was forcefully taken to the underworld by Hades himself. 
Demeter was furious. She was furious at Hades for having the nerve to take her daughter to hang out with the dead all day. She was furious with Helios, the all-seeing sun god, for watching her mourn and wander the earth, all the while knowing the entire time where her daughter was being kept. She was most furious at Zeus for concealing this information from her and for not retrieving their daughter the minute that she was taken. As the saying goes, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, and Demeter was no exception. In her anger, Demeter took a long and indefinite leave from performing all of her duties as the goddess of agriculture and of the harvest, and the earth began to dry up. The harvests failed, plants could not grow, the animals began to die from lack of food, and the whole earth suffered an unimaginable famine. Now, this famine really only affected the humans, of course, as the gods were above such basic needs. But Zeus, he loved his humans and was distraught at the sight of their struggle and their pain. Their cries had reached him all the way up on Mount Olympus, and he realized that he must intervene if he was to save his precious humanity. In an attempt to find a mutually amicable solution, Zeus tells Demeter that if there's proof that Persephone was taken against her will, that he will restore her to her place amongst the gods. However, if there is no proof, then it will be assumed that she went willingly and she shall remain in her rightful place at her husband's side. Hades, always one step ahead, became aware of this plan and created one of his own. Persephone, in full despair over her kidnapping, had been crying and mourning since she arrived in the world of the dead. Hades offered her a pomegranate, to which she accepted. But little did she know that the pomegranate was the fruit of the underworld, and once even a few seeds are eaten, you're forever tethered to the underworld and will have a deep longing to return. Persephone had been tricked by her husband, and it was too late. When Zeus and Demeter arrived to assess the condition of their daughter, they were met with a pomegranate-infused Persephone who clearly stated that she wished to remain in the underworld with her husband, Hades. Demeter was furious and knew that some trickery must have taken place, as her daughter would never choose this dark and miserable place over the flower-filled meadows of Earth. Demeter made her anger known and told both Zeus and Hades that if her daughter was not returned to her, that she would never return to her duties as the goddess of the harvest, and the earth and all of humanity would die a miserable death, disappearing forever. Zeus could not allow this either, and so a bargain was struck over our poor Persephone. It was decreed that their daughter would spend half of the year with Hades and rule as the queen of the underworld, and the other half of the year topside with her mother and the other Olympians. And so it was settled. For six months of the year, Persephone returns to Olympus, and Demeter is full of happiness and joy as her daughter is with her. In her happiness, the earth is fertile and the living things grow in abundance. The flowers bloom, the animals multiply, and the humans have enough to sustain them and then some. She creates spring and summer. But when her time is up and Persephone is called back to her place as the queen of the underworld, her mother, Demeter, mourns deeply. Without the energy to sustain, she retreats into her grief of missing her daughter, and the earth goes barren. Once again, the living things go quiet, the plants and crops cannot grow, and the humans must be careful if they're to survive the season. She creates the fall and the winter. I love this myth as it speaks to me on so many levels. 
First and foremost, as a mother, I sympathize with Demeter in the search for her daughter, and I understand her willingness to go all the way to hell to retrieve her. I can relate to how everything else we are responsible for gets set aside and forgotten when our kids are not on the right path or need our help. Projects, ambitions, creativity, and any forward momentum or growth gets halted in the metaphorical search for our children. I feel this part in my bones. And while this telling speaks to Hades tricking Persephone into being his queen, there are versions of this story that are interpreted differently, suggesting that Persephone chose to go with Hades and willingly returns to her husband each year. The original works were created in the 8th century and was published in Hesiod's Theogony. In this original telling, she was coerced. But let's consider that she willingly went and she enjoys her time surrounded by the dead. This makes sense too, as she was a maiden, young and naive, and is in that season of life that we're more likely to play with fire, tempt fate uh, with dangerous and exciting behavior. Demeter, as her mother, must let this play out and watch from afar while her daughter learns her own lessons and creates her own path. What this story really speaks to is our need to retreat, to mourn, and conserve our energy, as Demeter does during this time of year. Perpetual spring and summer would come with expectations that abundance flows indefinitely, creating no need to plan carefully or make allocations for lack. It is in winter that we're provided the space to reflect inward, sleep earlier, dream longer, and carefully consider our next moves. That is what Persephone offers us when she embraces her duality and confronts her shadows. So another one of my favorite myths for this time of year is the story of the battle between the Holly King and the Oak King. Some tellings say they were brothers, while others speak of them as rival kings. Legend says, in a time not that long ago, when our ancestors felt more connected to the rhythms of nature, there took place a battle between the Holly King and the Oak King. These two figures symbolize the changing seasons, and their story was a way to understand the cycle of life and the passing of time. When the days were warmer and longer, the Oak King ruled. He reigned over the spring and summer months, a time of life, growth, and abundance. He was strong and vibrant, a figure adorned with leaves and acorns, overseeing the flourishing of plants and the lively activities of the animals. But as the summer solstice approached and the days started to get shorter again, the Holly King's power began to rise. He stood for the fall in the winter months, a time of death, decay, harvest, and quiet reflection. Dressed in deep green with holly leaves and berries, he signified the changing colors of the leaves and the preparation for the colder season. On the day of the summer solstice, the two kings would meet in a symbolic battle. It wasn't a fight of hatred or of enemies, but a representation of the natural balance between light and darkness. The Holly King and the Oak King would face each other, using their magical staffs to represent their respective powers. And as that day turned into night, the Holly King's influence grew stronger and the Oak King's power waned. This mirrored the transition from the warm months to the colder ones. And just as the Holly King's reign reached its peak at the winter solstice, the cycle would start again. The days would slowly lengthen and the two kings would meet again. But this time, the Oak King's strength would overtake and he would win, bringing back the spring and the summer. 
This eternal struggle between these two kings stands as a reminder of the constant changes in the world and the need for balance in all things. Similar in theme, we can head to Scotland and Ireland and find the stories of the Kaliach and Brigid, both Celtic goddesses. The Kaliach is a crone woman who is the goddess of winter, while Brigid is the maiden goddess of spring. Kaliach rules the wilderness, harsh landscapes, and rugged terrain. Known as the Veiled One or the Woman of Winter, she is said to be haggard and harsh herself while wielding immense power over the changing seasons. She is associated with the embodiment of the Triple Goddess and is known to be both the guardian of the land and its destroyer. Another duality. Her arrival to the lands brings with it the snow, the frost, and the cold of the darker months. She is said to appear with a staff in hand that she strikes the ground with, calling forth the season. She carries stones in her apron that she drops occasionally, creating mountains. Bridget is said to be her sister and the goddess of spring, fertility, and healing. While Kaliak is wise and old, Bridget is a young maiden, also an embodiment of the triple goddess. She rules over poetry, the arts, and is the guardian of the hearth. She is also one of the goddesses that was adopted by and integrated into Christianity as St. Bridget, and she's honored at Imbolc. There are various tellings on how these two sisters interact to create the seasons. One story says that the Kaliak imprisons Bridget in a cave during the winter, causing the earth to become barren without its patron goddess of fertility wandering about. According to legend, one day in early spring, the Kaliak suddenly turns into stone, and it is then that Bridget can escape and restore abundance to the soil. Another telling presents that the two goddesses are actually one and the same, changing face and nature as the seasons change. In this way, the maiden is the crone, and the crone, she is the maiden, embodying the cycle and quality of life. There is another story that goes much like our two kings in the previous story, where the Kaliak and Bridget come together twice per year to battle over the seasons. This time, it is at the Celtic holiday of Samhain that the Kaliak brings her rulership, and it's at Beltane in May when Bridget begins hers. Another winter deity is known as Boreas, son of Eros, the goddess of dawn, and a lesser-known star god, Astraeus. Boreas is the northern wind and is brother to Zephyrus, the western wind, Notus, the south wind, and Avaris, the eastern wind. Collectively, they are called the Enimoi, and they're the bringers of the seasons. In Greek mythology, their female counterparts were the harpies. It is said that Boreas, the northern wind, would sweep down from the mountains of Thrace and blow his icy breath onto the terrain, covering it in snow and frost. The howling winds associated with Boreas are symbolic of the seasonal shift, bringing the biting cold of winter. The land would remain this way until his brother, Zephyrus, the west wind, blew in and brought with him spring. There's various other cultures that have similar folklore to our Boreas of the north wind. The Native American Algonquin tribes have stories of a spirit that they call Old Man Winter or Old Man North Wind. Slavic folklore has Old Man Frost, while Russia also embraces this personification with dead moroves. The qualities are always the same, using their powers and presence to bring forth the cold months. In true mythological form, the seasons were personified, and one had to win out over the other for a balance to be struck. 
There was a story that was told to explain the concepts in a way that was easy for our ancestors to understand and giving them purpose and emotion and life to the seasons in the process. And that is where we are now in these dark months, giving way to our wise woman and our old man energy, embracing the divinity who know that it's time to slip into the dark. Sometimes for me, though, embracing these slower months can feel like a bit of a setback or as though I'm being unproductive or wasting time when I should be full speed ahead on all of my projects. I mean, this is what society has taught us, right? And it's hard to retrain ourselves to see it any way different. But that is what we must do if we're to live in flow with the cycles of the earth and the seasons. Like everything, it is a practice and it has to be worked at. For me, I have found that creating a list of projects that can take all winter to complete keeps me on track. So like we have some rooms that we want to paint and some tile that we want to lay There are things that have no rush and we can do them a little bit at a time. I find that leaning into the cleansing, beautifying and reworking of my home space is also a valuable use of my energy since it's where I'll be spending most of my time for the next few months. Where I live, it gets cold and sometimes snowy. So my normal activities of hiking and embracing the outdoors get a bit backburnered. I feel like I'm ushered into a reflection of sorts during these months as well. Much like standing in the middle of a room that needs to be cleaned with a cup of tea in hand, looking around, pondering where to begin, I find myself taking stock of my life, my relationships, and the way that I'm showing up in the world, reflecting on it all and taking notes. It's not really the time for ambitioned action, but more of a data collection of sorts to be analyzed and organized when I have more energy a slow moving through the spaces of my mind, picking one thing up at a time and putting it where it belongs. As a practice, leaning into journaling feels intuitive during these months as putting thoughts to paper helps clean out the psyche and make room for new revelations. Also reading new books and new works and filling your mind with knowledge while your body is on retreat can feel aligned. If you're working on a business or some other plan, you don't have to stop in your tracks or slow progress. Instead, lean into the tasks that need to be completed that align with the energy of the season. Look back on things that are left undone and finish them. Tie up loose ends, close out any open projects so that when spring does arrive, you're ready and capable of starting anew. If you're listening to this episode near its release, actually, we're in a Mercury retrograde season, which encourages that invitation to look back and finish things versus starting something new. Literally everything in nature and in the cosmos is telling us to slow down, and it's time that we listen. Yule is around the corner, and so in the holiday spirit, I want to close out this episode by sharing a mythology that gives proper credit to the origins of Santa Claus, bringing it way back to the Norse Allfather, the god Odin. The story goes like this. Long before the world knew of Santa Claus and his reindeer, there was Odin, the wise and powerful Norse god. In the cold and rugged lands of ancient Scandinavia, the midwinter festival of Yule marked a time of both celebration and trepidation. The days grew shorter, and the people gathered around hearths to stave off the chill. They told tales of the mighty god Odin, the Allfather, who held sway over the elements and the fates of men. Odin was not only a warrior and a sage, but a traveler as well. 
His journeys took him across all the realms, and during Yule, he would lead the spectral wild hunt, a parade of ghostly figures and spectral creatures across the night sky. This hunt, as it was called, was both a blessing and a warning, a harbinger of the turning of the year. So as the days darkened, Odin's thoughts turned to his mortals. He had always held a fascination for their world, and during Yule, he chose to walk among them, disguised as a wanderer. With his cloak of concealment, Odin traveled from village to village, seeking to learn the secrets of the human heart. Odin was a patron of wisdom, and he held great respect for those who showed kindness and hospitality. So during his Yule visits, he would leave gifts and treats for children who had been virtuous throughout the year. These gifts were often left in shoes or stockings hung by the hearth, a tradition that still echoes in our modern practices. In the dead of night, Odin would silently enter their homes, leaving behind tokens of his favor. He bestowed gifts to reward good behavior and encouraged harmony among families during the harsh winter months. His reindeer were not the eight magical creatures we associate with Santa Claus today, but Odin's eight-legged steer, Sleipnir, who carried him swiftly from house to house. Over time, as cultures intermingled and traditions evolved, the stories of Odin's Yule visits blended with other customs and celebrations. The spread of Christianity further shaped these tales, leading to the transformation of Odin into the jolly figure of Santa Claus that we now know today. While the modern Santa may have a different appearance and backstory, the story of Odin lives on in the gift-giving, generosity, and warmth that define the holiday season. The connection between Odin and Santa Claus serves as a reminder that the roots of our cherished traditions often stretch back far into the past with paganism at their core. I hope you're all able to embrace the season and find solace in the dark. I know life doesn't shut off when the winter comes, but sleep in some days if you're able, curl up with a cup of tea, and don't let any feelings of guilt over hermiting sneak in and steal your peace. Find small moments to yourself. You're a part of nature woven into its fabric just as tightly as the trees and animals living outside your walls. So let's take a lesson from them and make space to hibernate. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and that you're having a relaxing Yule. In upcoming episodes, we will discuss the archetypes of the major arcana with Maria the Arcane, and I plan to share my story of going from a Southern Baptist to a practicing pagan. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, or suggestions, I would love to hear them. The podcast email is hello at themoonincarolina.com. Until then, I'm Shelby Bundy, and I thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about my upcoming courses and offerings in coaching, consulting, or astrology, visit my website, themoonincarolina.com. You can also find me on Instagram at themoonincarolina.com.